Well, hey, friends, it's Jason here, and I want to welcome you to a bonus episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Today, I get to share a conversation with Pastor Daryl Johnson and the worship leader, Brooke Lidgertwood from Hillsong Worship. She's written a number of songs that you might be familiar with, King of Kings, Hosanna, Oceans. And the context for this conversation is unique. Brooke and Daryl were connecting personally, having a conversation about the intersection of worship and theology and the role that worship plays in the spiritual formation and discipleship of people within the church. And they decided that they would almost let more people in on the conversation by hosting a webinar. Not a ton of format, just the two of them having a conversation then opening up for Q&A. And they hit a number of themes about worship, formation, and theology, exploring conversation around lament and confession and maybe gaps in our worship experience in the modern church. It was a rich conversation, and the team at Worship Central Canada very kindly shared the resource with us so we could pass it on to you today. So I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's good to see you, Brooke. Um, that conversation we had a month ago or so still um, is in my heart and soul, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful connection. Thank you for that. So it's good to see you. Why don't I begin by praying? Living God, living God, um, it is with great joy that we are able to talk to you. Uh, you have chosen to make yourself known to us. Um, you've invited us into relationship with you. You've shown us that you are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and you reveal to us that you want to invite us into the love relationship that you have shared from all eternity. You know why we've gathered. We want to be more authentic worshipers. We want to worship in a way that brings your heart great pleasure and joy. Uh, and we want to worship in a way that is worthy of the name above every name. I, I thank you for Brooke. I thank you for the gifts you've given her, for her heart and her desire to worship and to lead worship. And I pray now that you would guide our conversation, um, that this might be helpful to all those who are listening in on this time. We give you this time, trusting you, Holy Spirit, to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for opening in prayer. Um, you know, I, I know that you, as I have, would have been, you know, praying for all the people who are who are joining us today, and really believing that the the Holy Spirit is so magnificently able to speak very directly and personally to them today, miraculously through through um, the conversation we share. So, um, I am so expectant for that. I know that we will never hear all the stories, but believing that some very um, wonderful and eternal seeds will be planted and watered um, in this time we have together. Um, so Pastor Daryl, I know that you told me that I should call you Daryl, but I, <laughs> I feel, I feel, I, I don't know how to do that <laughs> um, because I just, you know, um, I so honor you and, um, and your, your walk with the Lord and your, your life of obedience that has, you know, produced um, uh, so much fruit already that has, is, is going on to produce fruit, you know, of its kind, your books, your sermons, um, your your legacy is incredible. Um, and given your incredible longevity, I would love to begin by asking you. You know, you have pastored and taught through many seasons of 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 the of the modern and contemporary church, and particularly, you know, seasons of worship within the modern church. So, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the things that have remained that you're glad to see have remained, and what are some of the things that you have glad uh, you were glad to have seen perhaps go away. That could be a, a hairstyle that was trendy for a certain moment or a type of skinny jean. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, that would take some time to give an overview of that. <laughs> I have been um, involved in um, congregational worship, congregational life, uh, half a century now. I mean, I, I know I don't look it, but... I, uh, <laughs> 
No, I'm kidding. I probably do. Um, when I began uh, leading worship, it was relatively simple. Um, I was became a senior pastor in, in 1976, even though I was involved in ministry before that. And the service was pretty straightforward. Presbyterian Church, um, we, we had hymns and prayers. We said the Apostles' Creed. Um, we had a prayer of confession. We had readings of scripture, uh, the sermon, and then a, a hymn, and then a blessing at the end. So my job uh, was, as the worship leader, was basically to pick uh, the hymns uh, out of the hymn book <laughs> um, that the organist would play. Um, I would pick the prayers, I would or, or write the prayers that um, I, I, for each of the different segments, preach the sermon and, and give the benediction. I loved doing it. It was relatively straightforward. Towards the end of the 1970s, then, we we're beginning to move into this whole um, new, um, new forms of, of song, basically, um, that were being kind of inserted into that basic structure for traditional churches. Um, but it started coming in like a flood. <laughs> uh, so you've got music from the Jesus people, music from the vineyard, um, uh, music from the Taze community, the Roman Catholic Church. And um, I then tried to find little ways to begin to incorporate that music in a traditional structure. Um, there would have been no skinny jeans or anything like that at that time. In fact, I preached in a robe. <laughs> Whoever <laughs> sang would actually put a robe on too. So it was pretty, pretty formal. Um, but uh, we just slowly worked in those songs uh, into the life of the, of, the, of the congregation. This is just one person's experience, but I think a major turning point was that song, Shine, Jesus, Shine. Mm. Remember that? Um, it's still really a good song to sing. Maybe it needs to be ratcheted up a little bit, you know, uh, musically. But that's when I felt uh, the congregation I was serving began to say, okay, we're open to different kind of music. Mm -hmm. um, and then we began to move in those ways. Uh, from the, in the 80s and 90s, though, uh, now again, I'm still in a more traditional church. Um, there was uh, the tension around this music. Um, it was felt to be uh, by many people too emotional, uh, too repetitive, um, too um, I-centered versus God-centered. So I found myself then needing not to defend, but to interpret what this music was. And it, particularly around the uh, accusation of emotion. And, and, and my counter argument was that we worship God with our brains um, and with our, with our heart, but also with, with, our, with our feelings um, and then with our bodies. So we even needed to be open to lifting hands. Oh my goodness, was that a really real challenge to give people the freedom to lift hands? You're, you're probably going, what, what planet was Daryl on? Um, but I had to then teach out of the Psalms these different forms that scripture gives us for entering into an authentic, full humanity worship of God, using our brains, using our hearts, allowing our emotions to be engaged, lifting our hands, kneeling, um, dancing. <laughs> it was in the mid-90s that I even dared to dance around the communion table. Um, got a little flack, but the majority <laughs> were moved by that, that they mm -hmm. saw a man, that was mm -hmm. important, a male, wow. um, being willing to engage with God um, at, at that level. Wow. Uh, so I've had the privilege of wa watching uh, things slowly move in that direction. Um, is, am I am I going down the road you want me to go down? This is wonderful. Please, yes, continue. Um, now, uh, not everybody's happy about all that um, uh, fresh influx, but the fact of the matter is that's taken over, and that's now the dominant uh, form of worship, uh, where you now have a, a package of songs. Uh, that leads up to then a time in the word 
that leads up then to a time of prayer ministry. As I understand, that's kind of the basic structure of most services. And I love it, um, especially more singing and especially hands-on prayer ministry. Mm. Um, now you asked, what would I wish we had kept of mm -hmm. in that transition? I think, uh, I think two things would still be helpful. One is a call to worship. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think uh, the scripture speaks of, of God summoning us to worship. I'm thinking of Psalm 95. Come, mm -hmm. let us sing to the Lord. Come, let us shout joyfully. Come, let us kneel. Uh, three comes. Um, I, from that, I get, I, I think of C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia, farther up and further in, you know, come, 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 come. Um, and that's because we don't want to just drift into worship. And it's because we're not really ready to worship. Uh, you know, you, you come to worship and one of the kids has been crying in the car or even thrown up in the car or whatever. Uh, and, and you're coming to the worship center and, and someone says, let's sing. And I, I'm not ready. I need to be called into that, summoned, awakened. Um, so I, I, I would love to see that restored. Uh, we are the royal priesthood. And now we're being called to our royal duty. And then another place, um, another dimension of the older worship that I think would be helpful at this time is some sort of creed. Mm -hmm. I grew up saying the Apostles' Creed. Many people in my generation did. And what was the purpose of that? It was to remind us of what we believe. We might be focusing on just one thing during that service. We might be focusing on forgiveness, or might be focusing on the cross, or on the resurrection. But that creed served to remind us about the whole thing that we believe. Mm -hmm. Now, that's why I love your King of Kings. Mm -hmm. I said to people when, when that song came out, I thought, wow. This is a creedal song. Mm, wow. um, you and, and was it Ben uh, Fielding, yeah. the two who wrote that? Uh, well, actually, myself, my husband, Scott, and then our friend, Jason Ingram, wrote that one. Yeah. Okay, great. Oh, Scott. Okay, great. But um, so, I, so I've advocated in a lot of different places. I'll speak at a conference and they'll say, is there a song we should sing before you preach? Yes. King of Kings, please. <laughs> because, wow. because you go through the flow of the Apostles' Creed. I don't know if you did that intentionally. Mm. Um, the incarnation, mm -hmm. his death, his resurrection, the coming of the Spirit, the creation of the church, um, and then the gospel that will not bow and will not kneel to the to the, all the changes. Um, and then right in the middle of it there, you've got the refrain that is wonderfully Trinitarian. Mm. Uh, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of majesty. Uh, is, oh, ma uh, how does it go? Praise to the King of Kings, <laughs> um, and I think I think we need that, and especially in our time, we need to be reminded about the fundamentals that we believe. Now, then the worship service might take a particular tact on that particular day, and you, we might then sing, um, uh, "What a beautiful name," or we might go in a different direction. I am everything you told me I am. Um, depending upon now the word that is going to be preached. So um, I'll say one more thing, if, if you don't mind. Uh, people have objected uh, to um, all the lights, the strobe lights, and, and all of the smoke and all the loudness, you know, at, at a, at a, in a worship setting. And I've said to my friends, those are contemporary um contemporary forms of the organ mm, and wow. the organ is there to arrest us and to lift us into a more glorious space uh in in some uh, contexts are candles and you can even smell that the smoke you see the the and 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 i think it's this generation's equivalent you know we can't afford an organ now but but you just cut loose on the whole band um, as a way of just vibrating through the whole human person and, and calling us into an encounter with such a great God. Mm -hmm. well, maybe I went on too long, but that would be um, some of the things I would say. That's incredible. I love that. I love that. I love that um, 
you know your your comment about the um, the the lights and the smoke, um, you know, being being used as an organ. What I've always felt that um, that that um, any of us who can bring gifts that can make the house of God beautiful, to in some small way reflect the beauty of the Lord, is valid. And it's not about showmanship. It's about it's about um, it's about beauty and everybody having something to bring and contribute to the house yep. of God. And so I know that you know some of our um, some of our lighting team, you know, I, that I have had the privilege of of getting to know. They don't um, they don't come. Um, with wanting to produce something that is visually grandiose, but they come with the desire to worship the Lord with the gifts that they've been given. And so they have a sense of how light, um, you know, at a different aperture and used to turn to, I don't know the lighting terms exactly, but, you know, turn to the, the, the way that a color can be used in a certain moment. Um, but all of these things, not for the sake of a show or a, or a production, but a way to, um, to, uh, not just interact with with the worship that is happening, but to be part of the worship, to be part of the offering and praise, that be part of the gifts that are being brought to to as an offering to the Lord. So, so I'm 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 I've always been felt very firm about that as well. That it's not about and and you know as with anything in um in Christendom, Christendom and in our traditions and in our expressions, there will always be um. Uh, an opportunity for misunderstanding and and to misconstrue something that is pure intentioned and the way that my pastors would put it my pastor bobby always talks about um brass values versus gold values and often we take something and we assign it a brass value and actually the undergirding desire and intention is a gold value is is to bring something of worth to the lord but of course it's easy to um if you if you don't seek to understand that and to and to look for how christ is operating within that and how christ is operating through his people you can easily we can be so dismissive sometimes of 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 other people's or other denominations or even some of our own ways of expressing and approaching corporate worship so i i love that you said that well that's really well put so uh in a worship service that you be you would be part of now what what's what's the goal for you the goal or the gold the gold g-o-l-d what's the the most precious part of worship for you the most precious part for me is um i think i think it hasn't changed is that um my job as a worship leader is to help people become aware of the reality that they are in which is the reality of the presence of god um to encourage them um Sometimes with words, but with with the way that I lead, with the with the song list that I would put together, with the way the team are united and and, and how we are how we are serving that morning or that night or that afternoon, um, to help people um, become aware of the reality that God is with us, among us, and in us. So number one, to become aware of of that reality, and number two, to engage with that reality. So that firstly, you know, how, you can't engage with something that you're not aware. Aware of so the first responsibility of a, a worship leader to be is to to make people aware God is good God is real and God is present here in our midst and number two let's engage with that reality of this loving and living God in our midst well, let's engage with him let's commune with him let's bring him our own offering and I think that has to be emphasized as well because um, because it's not my job as the worship leader to bring your worship it is your responsibility to bring your own worship to the lord i can't do that for you but i can encourage you to do that and i can try and eliminate as many distractions as possible to to make that possible so you know it's why even you know why do we rehearse um you know some people don't rehearse that's fine that's up to you but we rehearse because we want to you know as a as a group of musicians and vocalists we if we're all playing different chords and there's dissonance it's distracting for people we practice not for the sake of um, human perfection, but we practice for the sake of, you know, bringing something, bringing our finest to the Lord, um, not being casual in the way that we bring that. But but number two, to eliminate distraction, um, to eliminate the things that could possibly trip somebody up from entering deeply um, to that awareness and the reality of the presence of God in our midst. So that's the that's the gold for me, I think. Yeah. When you're when you are leading worship. Um, when it's just a very personal question, you can we can skirt it if you want. When do you personally know that you are engaging 
mm. a living God? Mm. It's a great question. I mean, um, in a in a in a corporate sense, in worship in church, um, you know, often I'm sure that many worship leaders or or worshipers or people watching today are in the same situation as as we are. So either you're not gathering or you're gathering online or, um, you know, for us, we have just resumed in-person gatherings, but we are outdoors. And as any, you know, as any person know, the, the sound of a PA outdoors is very challenging. Um, you know, our team aren't getting the opportunity to meet regularly and be able to rehearse together because we don't have the facilities um, to be able to do that. So, so the worship right now is, um, the sound of it and the practicalities of it um, are, um, I'm, I'm trying to think about how to say it without, um, in, in a sensitive way, but, frustrating. you know, um, yeah, yes, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. We're not floating in on a, on a, a cloud of perfectly tuned PAs and um, wonderful, you know, wonderful atmosphere. We, so it's very much, you know, when I, when I'm in worship, in a corporate sense, now in these in-person gatherings outdoors, um, I am reminded that I'm not led by my senses, but I am, I'm here and I'm lifting my voice and my hands in worship because God is a living God and he is here, even if the um, even if my senses aren't being tickled. And I think that's, that's, a, a, that's a valuable opportunity um, because I, I am reminded that actually I have to start by leading myself in worship. My worship is not led by my senses. My worship is led by my faith. So I know by faith that I'm in the presence of the living God. And I, and there are times in, 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 in worship that I, I'm able to um, enjoy that with my senses um, more than others, but from a place within my own spirit and my own soul, um, that's where I I get to tell my flesh who's boss, and my spirit can still press through those obstacles or those challenges and engage with the spirit of the living God and His presence. Um, Bless yeah. you. Bless you. So how then? Um, how then can you, I, others up front, help people do that very thing? I love the way you said that. Just press through, embrace mm -hmm. what you know to be true. Um, how how can we do that? And and now maybe say how can we do that right now, particularly mm -hmm. uh, uh, in this um, uh, mode that we're living in. Yeah, I would say the answer is, and and this is just my personal perspective, obviously, but the answer is theology. <laughs> you know, theology has always moved me to to moved me to worship and moved me in the presence of God. And you know, many of the the hymns that I treasure most, um, because I wasn't uh, I wasn't raised in an uh, well, I mean, I only came to Christ when I was fifteen, but from that point, I wasn't in an environment that was um, heavily hymnal. So the my ex, but I discovered hymns as a young Christian and delighted in them, used them for my own prayer, used them in my own devotion. And sometimes I never knew the tune, but just by going through and experiencing these incredible lyrics that were so packed with theology. And I, I think, um, you know, our people who are writing for the church now, um, the church that we find ourselves in, I think that we would do well to um, to look to the example of the hymn writers of the 1800s, who the song um, the song was not distributed um, in a recorded sense. Mostly, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, it was the sheet music and it was the lyrics, and so it wasn't reliant on a great sound system or a um, or a well rehearsed band to be able to to be able to sing these songs of praise to the Lord. It was these the power was you know in in these lyrics and in these melodies that were simple enough for anybody to be able to sing. Now I love art, so I could talk about redemptive art and um, and and the the beauty of a complex narrative and nuance all day long. But when I speak specifically about about congregational worship and the power of theology in congregational worship, I think that's something that I would love there to be a renaissance in. And I think what your original question was, I'm taking all these rabbit trails, but in terms of how can people from the front, how can our pastors, how can our leaders encourage that engagement with the presence of God in worship is, is teach us, remind us of the strong, robust theology that we have as followers of Christ for this day, 
that the scripture and the spirit of God well equip us for the days that we are living in, that the Lord is not shaking his head wondering what to do next, but and not, it's the complete opposite. And the, the supply, the abundance of the supply that is available to each of us in Christ and to our Christian communities in Christ is more than enough to well equip us for the days that we're living in. So, so I would say, teach us, remind us, um, open the scripture to us and, and, and take us through exegete to us why we are people of Jesus. Um, we are, I, I think N.T. Wright, um, doesn't he say, it? um, we are, we are, we are Easter, we are, we are resurrection Sunday people living in a good Friday world. And so I think sometimes that we, um, I think we need to be reminded of that. So, um, that would be oh, great. bless you. Preach it. <laughs> I wanted to ask you now, Daryl. Now, this is actually a question from, um, so I, I have the honor of, of helping lead Hillsong Worship, but we have an incredible global creative pastor over, over Hillsong Church, whose name is Cass Langton. And she texted me through a question, um, which I would love for you to speak into. She, she asked me, um, to ask you, how do you shape a worshipping community? What are the key fundamentals to teach for the right foundations? And what are the doctrines that are important to understand in shaping a worshipping community? I know it's a big one. So. Yeah, and you've been answering that. Mm. I, I agree with you. It, it's, it's through teaching mm. and through teaching um, the basic uh, reality shaped by the gospel. So that people know who God is in Christ through the Spirit and what he is about. What is he doing in the world right now? So the more that we, we teach, the, the better off we are. Um, and what your, your, your friend asked, what particularly do we teach? I, boy, there's so much. Uh, right now, I would say that I think we want to teach people that Worship does not begin with us. Mm. Very, 10 wow. o'clock, Very good. 10 o'clock Sunday morning or whenever it is we meet. Um, worship of the living God is not beginning with us. Mm. It's been going on long before we got out of the car or, or off the bus and walked into the sanctuary. Um, and so we're entering into a worship service that is always in progress. And... <laughs> I, I just, I think that's helped. That's why we have to have that, that summons again. Come join mm. what has been going on um, for a long time. Um, not only come join what took place in the time zone one hour ago or two hours ago, um, but come join uh, creation, you know, joyful, mm. joyful. We adore the, it goes on to talk about creation, just singing the praises of God, um, joining in the, the, the praise of those who've gone before us in the redeemed community but also joining in, um, and this is where I began in praying, joining in the worship that takes place within God himself, mm. um, within the Trinity. Um, we are summoned by the Father to worship his Son. We're summoned by the Son to worship his Father. The Spirit's great passion is that we know Jesus and worship him. And Jesus' great passion is that we know the Father and worship him. And the Father's great passion is we know Jesus and worship him. And on, you know, on and on, back and forth, and in and out it goes. So somehow to help people recognize that we're not just in the presence of this awesome, holy being, this triune God. We're actually brought into the life of and invited to participate in the very worship that is going on and has been going on since long before we came on the scene. Um, it's, that's a challenge to teach because it can be just, it can be up in rarefied air, but there are there there are texts in scripture that that can be used in that way. So we up front and, and this is a particular way need to be careful about the way we pray. Wow. So even our prayers are teaching. I, you, you know, you, you, the prayer is addressed to God, but people are listening. So the prayer has to be sensitive to the listener, too, so wow. that the listener comes and joins in that prayer also. Mm -hmm. So, God, um, you've called us to this event today. Um, please give us all the grace that we need to be doing our part in this. 
um, we want to enter into da 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 da. da. So um, that you know that by the way, it's kind of a side is why we need a prayer confession also mm. in the worship service. So there's three things we keep from the past: the call to worship, the creed, and a prayer of confession. Somewhere along the way, someone needs to acknowledge that we haven't been doing it. <laughs> and that that we, we need to come clean um, and we need a space to confess and then to receive the word of forgiveness about two years ago i went through a really really hard time um i the, the lord just helped me just see how sinful i am um <laughs> it was a really hard time how things that i have done in the past that I dismissed as unfortunate mistakes or lapses of integrity or whatever. It just brought me to a place of just seeing it. This no, this is this is the human condition, and you were really good at it. He <laughs> um, wasn't beating me up or anything like that, but it was deep. So we went to various worship services, and no, there was never a prayer of confession, mm. and I felt all alone. Now, I would preach to myself and no, no, I know I'm not all alone. Everyone sitting around me needs to come clean too. But there's no space for that to take place. Once in a while, there'd be a song, you know, that would allow that to happen. Um, so all of those kinds of things. Uh, but the leader is the one who is teaching all the time. Mm. So we are always shaping the worship life of the church in the way that we articulate what we ourselves are doing. And inviting people to do is that does that make sense yes that is so powerful i have no doubt that the chat is lighting up at this point um that i just want to say la on that um for a second yep confession why do you think um do you think particularly in an age now where there is um there is so much emphasis on this scene because there is so much more, um, there are so many more avenues um, to, to be seen. Um, and, and how do we, um, in an age where there is so much that is seen, how do we remind people, how do we invite people into the preciousness of the unseen? And to and and teach them how to prize that which is unseen. Um, yeah, yeah, and I and I know from our last conversation that's deep in you. That yeah. um, you, you want to understand what it means to live in the unseen reality and in the seen reality, right? And so you, how do we? You asked how do we help people embrace that fact? I I would say two things. Teaching again. <laughs> One is to be able to say to our people, you want to live in real world, right? Well, the real world is made up of the seen and the unseen. Mm -hmm. And we tend in a secular world to just think in terms of the world that we can see with our senses and touch and feel. That's not the whole of reality. Mm -hmm. Reality is made up of this unseen component. Um, and and they're they're intertwined that you you can't separate them, um, but all of reality is bigger than the scene. It's it's a combination. So again, teaching it, um, the book of Ephesians is is, is all about that. Mm, wow. That we are in Christ in the heavenly places. Mm. We've been uh, given life with Christ, raised up with Christ. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Mm. So uh, we want to live in all of reality. Mm -hmm. Second thing then to teach is uh, what Paul talks about in Colossians 3. Seek the things that are above. I'm going to say seek the things that are unseen. Why? Because that is where Christ is. Mm -hmm. Christ has been, um, has ascended, has been exalted to. He's seated on the throne that is in the unseen realm. Now, if I want to know Christ and if I want to be with Christ, if I want to be in communion with Christ, I need to live in that world. I need to live in the real world. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I think those are the two things that have spoken to me the most. And then in discipling others, how to live in the real world and particularly in that other dimension where Christ is. I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but if he lives there, I want to be there. If, yeah. if I find out that the, the ascended Christ has chosen to live in Chicago and he's got a, an eighth floor um, condo in Chicago. I'm moving to Chicago and I'm going to find out where that is and I'm going to go there. Mm. Well, he's lifted into this other realm. Mm. Well, then I've got to go there if I want to know him. Um, now, that doesn't answer all the questions, but I think it does give the sense of invitation mm. uh, to live in a truly real world. Mm. Over the years of ministry, um, I often uh, it's charged by um, people, come on, pastor, be realistic. <laughs> and my response would be, I am being realistic um, because I'm taking into account the whole of reality at a board meeting, especially when you go over budgets. Come on, be realistic. Look at the money. And I go, okay, let's be realistic. Look at the money. And now factor in a very generous father who has more money than anybody imagined, and he can give the resources to do what he's called us to do. So let's be realistic. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> et cetera, so. I love that. Um, gosh, there's so much I want to ask you. Um I know we are. I know we are already coming to the to the close of this time. So let me ask you one thing, because I um, this isn't by any means. I have, gosh, it's so hard to. Uh, um, but you know, I think so many people in the last twelve months, particularly people who were serving in um, in worship teams or serving in their churches, which will be a lot of the people who are who are joining us right now. A lot of the people um, may have felt like these activities that they traditionally associated with their calling were suspended. Um, and and as a result, there was there was there was perhaps you know deep disappointment, confusion. Where do I fit? Where is my place in the body? What is my ministry to the Lord? What is my ministry to the others? Without these activities, which I have so associated with my calling, can you shed any light on the root of that kind of dissonance? And 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 talk to us about what is what does the Bible say? What does the Lord say about calling? And um, sorry, I know this is. A big question, but and and how has the modern church or the modern worship movement misunderstood or misapplied that idea of calling? Wow, wow, that's huge. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 and it's really right on the target. I, I'm taking you, uh, Brooke, to say, especially calling in leading worship. Mm. Is that correct? When you use the Yes, or people, yeah, people who think that, you know, I'm, uh, even from the conversation we had with Peter, you know, about you and I, but also with Peter about a month ago saying, you know, how, how, talking about um, how we know of so many worship leaders who have been so discouraged or so disappointed. Now that they're not leading on a Sunday, you know, what what does their ministry look like? But if, And we had a great conversation around that, but I would love you to, to, to speak into that. Yeah, I, I think... Well, I would say two things. One, it is frustrating. And it is sad right now. I mean, my calling is to preach. It, I, and I know how to preach on Zoom. But it's nothing. <laughs> nothing. Like standing in a group of people and opening the word and see people's faces, both lighting up and maybe even grimacing, <laughs> disagreeing. Um, oh, oh, I miss that. But it doesn't mean I then have to stop preaching. I find other ways to do that. And the way that, that's a side note, the way I'm, the Lord has shown me right now is, is I'm going to write more. Um, because I can preach through the writing. Now, I think the better question for people to ask is not calling, but how am I gifted? Mm. Or the word I like better is how am I wired? Mm. And when we understand how we have been wired to live and serve, then I think the Spirit shows us many ways in which we can still live that wiring. Mm -hmm. We can't live the specific form that we were used to before, but we can live out that wiring. Um, 
I take Romans 12 to talk about seven different wirings, uh, prophecy, service, and teaching, and exhortation, and administration, and giving, and mercy. I believe that we are constituted in such a way that we're wired along one of those lines. Mm -hmm. And no matter what job we have, we're always going to operate out of that wiring. Yes. And so I would encourage us to press deeper. How have I been wired to live and serve? And I can still do that. The Lord will show me ways to still do that. I'm, let's think of the worship leader. I may not be able to stand up in front of a group of people with my guitar or with the keyboard, but I can still worship at home. <laughs> and I can still find ways to nurture other people doing that. Yes. Um, harder, but we can still do that. So don't think, oh, I was called to stand on the stage and lead. No, I was called to worship God. Mm -hmm. I can still do that. Mm -hmm. Now, how can I help other people stuck in a condo do that? Yeah. And there are some creative ways. Yeah. Uh, get on the phone or on the, and say, can you join me at nine o'clock? We're going to stand and we're going to sing King of Kings. Mm -hmm. can you, let's stand together and do that. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. I love that. And I think it, it comes back to when I when I think of that question, when I think of your answer, I think about that, what you were talking about, about living in reality, living in the reality of um, of who we are as followers of Jesus um, in connection with him, um, seated with him in heavenly places. And as the royal priesthood, our ministry being first and foremost to the Lord and second to others. And that I, I, whenever people ask me that question, um, in the past 12 months, I was kind of taken aback because I was like, there hasn't been one day that I haven't ministered um, because because my ministry is not hindered, uh, hindered. Sometimes it's helped by circumstance, but nothing can hinder the ministry of ministry to the Lord and ministry for the Lord for any believer of Christ. There is no circumstance that can hinder that. Um, my ministry is to, my ministry to the Lord exists um, perpetually every day as I walk with him, as I sing to him, as I include him in conversations, as I as I confess to him that I just had an unkind thought or, you know, or, or was, or, you know, express my frustration as I walk with Jesus, as I'm, I'm, as I walk with him and receive ministry from him and minister to him, I find that the everyday ordinary circumstances of my life, whatever they happen to be, become an altar for me to lay worship unto him and to be able to offer a service to whoever is around me. If it's my three-year-old daughter having a fight with her sister, if it's my husband navigating something, if it's the people that I work with, if it's, um, there is an, always an opportunity for me to give glory to God wherever I am. There is always an opportunity for me to point somebody else to the goodness of God. So, so I love what I think what you have said it's going to minister so deeply to people in terms of how they wired and how can they and that, and to be creative and innovative and spirit led in terms of how that can look in a season like but and also i would encourage other people to remember that their identity means that fundamentally they have an ongoing ministry and into eternity um, a ministry first and foremost to the lord and then to others um i am um, there is, gosh, there's so much, so much, so much, so much. But I think that now um, my my sworn duty and my privilege is for us to turn over to um, Peter, who is going to join us again and um, facilitate a bit of Q&A. So over to you, Peter. You're such a good thinker. You're such <laughs> a good thinker. I'm so sorry. I felt, I feel, I, I feel the same. I feel like there's so much more to uncover. I'm sorry about the time. Um, but thank you. I, I think this, yeah. I don't know how you guys are able to actually do that because I think a lot of us sitting here are just trying to process and say a lot over this whole thing. So thank you for being able to actually get, keep this conversation going the way that you do and blessing the rest of us. Um, we're just going to move into a little bit of Q&A um, right now. And there are a lot, a lot of questions. Um, and so thank you everybody for putting your questions. I'm so sorry that we can't get through all of them, but we did pick out a couple that did stand out. So, and I'm going to put the question to both uh, of you, Daryl and Brooke, and uh, you guys can fight over it. So um, the first question, 
how do you practice fixing your eyes on Jesus in ministry practically to avoid the malpractice of focusing on the ministry itself and yourself? You want to start, Brooke? Um, sure. If I may, and this might be an ethereal answer, but just go with me. It reminds me of this. Um, I, I didn't know what was going to happen in this conversation, so I just tried to be equipped by surrounding myself with a few of my favorite books, <laughs> just in case any of them could come in helpful. And one of them is, of course, Daryl's book, Discipleship on the Edge. My constant, okay. Everyone knows how obsessed I am with that. Um, and But one of my other favorite books is this one, N.T. Wright, Following Jesus. And I'm just I'm going to answer that with a story, and then I'm going to hand to Daryl, who will no doubt give you something incredible. Um, <clears throat> but N.T. Wright just tells this tells this story. And I hope that you can um, hear through the story what I'm trying to, how I'm trying to answer that brilliant question, by the way. Thank you for that question. So N.T. Wright writes this. Once upon a time, there was a miller who lived in a windmill and ground flour for the village baker. Day after day, the miller used to worry about whether he was producing enough flour. One night after there had been no wind at all, one night after there had been no wind all day, he hit upon a plan. He would disengage the cogs of the windmill and work all night turning the machinery himself by hand. Then he would be sure that there would be enough flour. When morning came, there was plenty of flour, but the miller was slumped asleep on the floor and the flour never got to the baker. So sound asleep was the miller that he never heard the noise outside, the noise of a rushing mighty wind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can, I encourage you to find that story yourself again, to, to, to sailor on it, to turn it. But what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate with telling, with sharing that story with you, which is that um, in ministry, we become tempted often, I become tempted often to disengage the cogs of the windmill um, when the wind isn't blowing or I feel the wind isn't blowing and to try and turn the machinery myself because people still need to get fed. People still need to eat bread. And if the wind isn't blowing, <laughs> um, how will the flower come out? And so I think our, 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 a, 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 temp, a central temptation of us is who would want to minister and serve Jesus and build his church would be that temptation to disengage the cogs and to start turning and to exhaust ourselves by, by turning the wheels all night instead of waiting on the Lord, um, instead of letting the cogs stay disengaged and being people of prayer who, who trust that the wind will come and that the, the amount of flour that will come and the amount of bread, the amount of feeding and nourishing of the body, the amount of um, health that will come from that will be much more than if we try to disengage the cogs and do it ourselves. So yeah. that was a very inarticulate way of answering that question. Now over to <laughs> Pastor Daryl. <laughs> yeah, mixing metaphors here. Our job is to place the bread of life in front of people and the, the wind of the spirit will make all that real. Um, I, I took the question also to mean, how do you deal with getting yourself out of the way uh, as you lead? Um, early on in ministry, um, 50 years ago now, I, I started preaching. I was an associate pastor and there was a clear anointing on the preaching. People were responding to this young guy. It was, it was very humbling and very heady. An older man named Peter Joshua, at that time he was in his late 80s uh, from Wales, took me under his wing. He was a retired pastor living in the community and would take me to breakfast uh, most Friday mornings. And so I shared with Peter, I said, I'm having such a hard time. I stand up to preach or stand up to do a call to worship. I want people to think well of me. I want them to like me. I said, I, I'm, I'm confessing that, I'm, I'm, I'm beating it down, I'm doing everything I can, I just can't get myself out of the way. He says, no, you, you won't be able to. He said, humility is not a function of putting yourself down, it's a function of putting yourself in the right position relative to Christ. And so he gave me a very tangible way. The pulpit there had about six or eight steps, so the big sanctuary. So you had to walk up the steps to get into the pulpit. You can imagine it. He says, as you walk up those steps, say, Lord Jesus, 
I want these people to think well of me. I said, what? He says, no. That's what you want. I want these people to think well of me. And then when he gets to the last step, say, but I want to th them to think more well of you. That's freed me. So whether I would be preaching, doing a call to worship, singing on a team, that's still a way to pray. Oh, of course you want people to respond to you and think well of you, right? I'm not the only one in that. And, but we, we want them to think more highly of Jesus. So here I am, Lord. And it always, it's always worked. So, Can I jump in off the back of that with another reading? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I get very excited because I prepared all these little bits just in case. And then I see how the Holy Spirit goes, this one, this one. And I get excited. Yes, no, this, is a, this is from, this is a tour through my library. This is a, a very little book called, um, If You Will Ask by Oswald Chambers. But he, he wrote, this is just, works beautifully off the back of what you just shared, Daryl. Um, I know we've still only gotten through one question in this Q&A, so blame me. I'm so sorry. Um, but this is what Oswald Chambers writes. He says, um, it is comparatively easy to live in the heroic moments. We can all have halos at times. If we stand in the right place with stained glass windows behind us and have the right kind of dress on, it is not at all difficult to look remarkably fine, but there is nothing in it. Not only is there nothing in it, but excessive dangers arise out of it. Beware of the transcendent moment that is a pose. A, humor, a humorous sense of criticism is wholesome. Some people get to a transcendent moment and someone tells them they look remarkably fine and forever after they try to live in that transcendent moment. We have to get down to the level where the reality works out, which is what Daryl was speaking about before, the whole reality. We have to get to the level where the reality works out and the whole council comes back to this. Watch and pray, the secret of the sacred simplicity of prayer. Prayer imparts the power to walk and not faint and the lasting remembrance of our lives is of the Lord and not of us. Okay. Back to you, Peter. Both so much, um, and please don't apologize for taking time. I think everybody's just here to listen to you guys, so take as much time as you want, and wherever the spirit leads. You're showing your you're showing your Canadianism here, Peter. I am. So polite. I'm sorry again. <laughs> okay. I love Canadians. You guys are just so nice. So nice. So kind. Thank you. Um, okay, I'm going to keep going with our questions. Um, the next question is, how would you help someone and cynicism? I didn't hear the whole question. Okay, I'll say that again. Sorry. How would you help someone who is dealing with apathy and cynicism? Oh. Well, I, two, two things I would do. First of all, I want to find out why the apathy and why the cynicism. There's, there's more behind that. Um, my, my gut would say there's some hurt and disappointment. Either in, if we're talking about now ministry and church, um, disappointment with church, with some leaders in the church, with people in the church, um, and so we would want to talk about that a bit too. So first of all, what, what's the source of this? The other is, and it's going to sound simplistic, but go to the word and let, let Jesus tell you who he is again. Um, when we see him in any section of the gospels, for instance, um, and we see who he is and what he does for the world, I think he breaks through all that. Um, I preached for Easter Sunday, and, and I had in mind um, people who are, are, are feeling despair and feeling apathy about, about their Christian life and about the world. And I, I, I think that the way the text worked out through me for Easter, it broke through that. When you know that Jesus Christ has faced the greatest enemy and one. I, I, I'm going to start preaching, so I won't. It, it just breaks through. 
so much of that. So get to the place where you can see Jesus again. Um, through the scriptures, maybe there's a movie, maybe there's some friends who can help you, and, and he will overcome that. Thank you. Brooke, do you have anything to add? Or I can um, I mean, first of all, I love the vulnerability and the honesty in that question. And I think that um, I think that it's important that we um, we we as Christians are uh, don't shy away from the whole human experience. You know, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And so um, and so I, I, I don't think that that's I don't think having seasons or times of feeling apathy or, or cynicism um, is I think I think I think apathy and cynicism. I think those things we have to look at those things as invitations. Um, it is an it's an invitation and I think um, it's possible to be downcast but steadfast. Um, you know, and what did the psalmist do when he was downcast? Why so downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It, he didn't say don't be downcast anymore. He said in your downcastness, place your hope correctly in place. So I think in the downcastness, which is, I think, normal. So let's just say that it's normal to have seasons of being downcast or moments. In that downcastness, the scripture, the psalmist tells us exactly what to do. We don't deny the downcastness. We don't minimize it. But we're in, our in our downcastness, we put our hope, we place our hope correctly, and we praise. I will yet praise in my Savior and my God. And we can be downcast, but steadfast. Mm -hmm. And then and then allow the Lord to, to finish that work in us and bring to completion every good work he has started um, and allow that process um, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in that. And yeah. You're such a good shepherd. You're such a good pastor. <laughs> that was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's so good. Um, and I guess there's a related question here then. Um, just to kind of go off of what you're saying is how do you think grief and lament fit into worship so we can carry one another's grief and move through them together? Mm. Well, they fit because the Psalms teach us that. Majority of Psalms are lament Psalms. So we have the, we've been given the freedom to lament. Now, you know, lament is not just mere complaint. Um, nothing wrong with that as a season two, when that's, that's what we're experiencing. But lament is, oh, try to put this carefully. Lament is getting in the face of God, saying, this is who you've declared yourself to be. These are the promises you have made but it doesn't seem to be working in my life. Um, so lament is directly, the, the, lamb, the lamenting of the Psalms is not just mere grousing. It's in the face of God and, and asking him to show us how he's present in this situation that seems to go against his promise. Um, and he, he welcomes that. Now, in a, in a worship service, yeah, that's, how do we do that? And I'd love to know Brooke's answer. I, I think could could be that, per, that periodically we have a lament song that we sing. Um, maybe regularly, and especially right now, where it gives the freedom in that part of the worship to just, for, for those who are lamenting, to move into that. Um, in the, in the past, and I'm not asking us to go back to the past at all, you would have the pastoral prayer in the middle of the worship service. And that was the intent of that prayer. Um, you are praying the people's longing for more. You're praying the people's longing to be healed. You're praying their despair, their cynicism, their doubt. 
Um, and so that was the moment when all of that could be expressed. You go, Brooke. <laughs> I feel bad. I feel like I don't, I just, I don't want to take up um, too much of your time. Yeah, I think, you know, lament has been very powerful for me over the past year. And, um, and I am, I, I also feel a responsibility as a songwriter to, um, to, to help widen our, our, our devotional vocabulary when it comes to these, uh, when it comes to lament and worship i'm really grateful actually that two of our um really gifted and anointed songwriters in our church ben fielding and reuben morgan have have written a song which we've just started to do in our church um, called son of david which is sits in a lament space um and so that isn't released at all i'm just letting you know about it but it's something that definitely we our community our church community and our creative team are um are listening you know are, are, are listening how how do we um how do we help our church grieve for the things that need to be grieved in this season how do we how do we help um help bring bring language and put put language in the mouths of people who maybe don't know how to pray that um and and certainly you know even from this conversation um daryl i'm i'm my my ears are, are burning in terms of what could what what might the holy spirit say to me about confession how can i how could i perhaps bring a song that could help open up that space for us you know within so i think and, and i think that that's where it has to begin for people who are who are writing for their own congregations is what is the Lord doing in the church and then what is he doing in in the community of faith I find myself in and how could I serve that and and um, and widen our devotional vocabulary to encapsulate what it is that the Lord is doing and help us as the people of God respond to what he's doing. So all, all good things, yeah. It comes to me right now is just that little song, Lord Have Mercy, there are different versions of it. Um, the Kyrie eleison. I could see someone like you, you're up there, you're leading, and we're singing, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And then you or someone um, has a, a couple lines of confession. Mm. And then Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And then another one on the team has a couple lines of lament. Mm. Um, Lord have mercy. So you're giving different uh, you're touching different experiences, but all now um, being caught up in the mercy of God. Um, mm. it, it wouldn't take much time in the service either, mm. would it? Like that. Mm. Anyway, I, I could see some doing that as yeah. simple ways to introduce that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, both. Yeah. Let me it, right. This might be the time for me to recommend a book. I brought some books along too. Yep, yeah, please. Have you seen this book? It's called Desiring the Kingdom. No, I haven't seen that one. By James K.A. Smith. I, th I, I was reading the last few days and anticipating seeing you. I think you would really track with a lot of what he does. He has a series called um, Cultural Liturgies. Um, this is the second one. Wow. Found really helpful. Desiring the Kingdom, subtitled Worship, Worldview, and Culture Formation. And it's all about how the worship life of the church is forming people. And there's a chapter um, that I would, that gets at a lot of these questions that have been raised. Let me tell you what the chapter is called. Sorry, I'm taking up this time. Sorry, folks. Um, uh, chapter five, it's entitled, Practicing for the Kingdom, an Exegesis of the Christian Worship Service. And he walks through all the different parts that different traditions would have in a worship service and ask, what is that doing to shape a human being's love for Christ and obedience to the kingdom? And um, I, I, I think you would really enjoy this. So James K.A. Smith, Desiring the Kingdom, chapter five. Chapter five, I'm getting it. Thank you both. Um, we're just got to, couple of minutes left. Actually, I wanted to give you both an opportunity to actually maybe, you know, any closing remarks, or even if you have another question. I know, Brooke, you have, you probably have so many other things that you want to say. And, and Daryl, I know you too. So I just kind of wanted to give you guys a moment.
just to finish um, before I close our session today. So, mm -hmm. so much we could talk about. Um, um, in the midst of what we're facing worldwide, and then the implications for being the church, I, I hear Jesus simply calling us to himself. Come, all who are weary and who have overburdened yourselves, and I will rest you. Take my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest for your souls. If you are thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. If you are hungry, come to me. I'm the bread of life. Take and eat. So in the midst of all that's going on, I would pray that we would all be aware of that fundamental call of Jesus. Come to me. Just keep coming.